Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. To invite you to turn with me, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. And verse 8. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the privilege of studying Your Word together. And as we do, we invite the Holy Ghost this morning to be our teacher and guide, to enlighten us and instruct us, to lead us into all truth. Father, we'll give You glory and honor as You open our hearts and our ears and our minds. And Father, I thank You for utterance in the Holy Ghost for thinking through my thoughts and speaking through my lips as I yield myself unto you to be your vessel, dear Father God, this morning, believing that the Word will go forth in power and in might and in demonstration of the Holy Ghost. It will cause change to take place in hearts and lives. And for all that's accomplished and achieved among us, we will be quick to give you all the glory, honor, and praise that you're deserving of. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Recently, we have been emphasizing divine love, living in the realm of divine love. God wants all of His children to live in the realm of divine love. We stated the fact that love is the greatest force in all of the universe. If you want to get hooked up with the greatest and most powerful force in all of the universe, then you've got to get hooked up with divine love. Every single one of us has agape love shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who was given unto us. And every single one of us has the potential to develop that love in our lives. Every single one of us. There are no exceptions. It's up to us to do something with love. Amen? You might say, well, what does love have to do with healing? Love has everything in the world to do with healing. Everything in the world. As a matter of fact, I want you to notice verse 8 here. It says right there, charity never faileth. That's agape love, never fails. Think about that expression. Charity or divine love never fails. It never fails to touch a heart. It never fails to change a life. It never fails to set the captives free. It never fails to heal the body. Compassion and love is what motivated Jesus to go about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. As a matter of fact, it's divine love that sent Jesus into the world who came to destroy the works of the devil. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Love sent Jesus. Jesus was love personified. Jesus, walking on this earth, manifested the compassionate heart of the Father God. And as He did, He delivered those that came into vital contact with Him. I remember there came a leper unto him, him, beseeching him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched forth his hand and touched him and said, I will, be thou clean. And the man was delivered from his leprosy. But notice that compassion was what flowed out of Jesus to touch that person's life and deliver him and set him free. Well, that's how God moves. That's how God operates And that's how God works to touch hearts and change lives and bring victory in the people's lives. Well, if we get hooked up with that divine flow, can we not see that the same effect will be upon our hearts and upon our minds and upon our bodies? And besides all that, 
God wants to get us set free so that then we can become the channel of that same love and compassion and touch the hearts and the lives of other people. And so you see, beloved, when a person makes a decision to live in the realm of divine love, he is opening his life up to the, to the richest blessings that God has to offer. He is throwing wide open the door of his life to God's fullest and God's best. So can you see then, if every child of God would make a decision to put the flesh under and make no provisions for the lust of the flesh and let God's divine love rule his heart and rule his life, that person is going to be placed in a position where he can not only receive from God whatever it is he needs, but then give out that which he receives. That's how God wants us. Charity or divine love never fails. I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to Ephesians in chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I would like to emphasize that very often many fail to receive from the Lord their deliverance or their healing because they fail to fulfill the law of love. And you know, sometimes, beloved, unconsciously, we go about and fail to do so. But I guess as you read the Scriptures, we must conclude that ignorance is really not an excuse. Because Jesus Himself told us it's the truth that makes us free. And if we don't have the truth, then we're not going to be made free. And also, God Himself said that my people perish for the lack of knowledge. And if God's people are perishing for the lack of knowledge, then ignorance obviously is not an excuse. I know that's hard to hear. Can you say amen? I know that's hard to hear. And sometimes it's hard to accept. Nevertheless, it's true. Because he said, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. Well, whose fault is that then? If I don't take the time to get into God's Word and find out what He said about things, whose fault is that? We live in a vast land of resources, a land of plenty. As a matter of fact, you can probably go anywhere and find yourself all kind of Bible commentaries and all kind of books on the subject of divine healing and health and all kinds of things if you want to. There are some nations and some lands where people have no access to the Word of God. But in this land, we have plenty. We've got books upon books upon books upon books, references upon references and concordances upon concordances and all that. We have it all at our fingertips. It's up to us as individuals to see to it that we motivate ourselves to get into God's Word and discover what God said because if we don't do so, we'll continue to be destroyed for the lack of knowledge. We need to have the knowledge of God so that we can be free. For Jesus Himself said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, with regard once again to bringing ourselves into line with what God wants for us, we have got to make the conscious decision to live in the realm of love so that we don't prevent God's power from flowing into our lives. I have counseled with many individuals who were in need of deliverance and healing in their lives. 
And you know, when you counsel people, for the most part, what you really want to do is just let them answer their own questions. Or let them locate themselves. And maybe just as an outsider, you can just find out where they're at as they just locate themselves. And in so doing, I have allowed people to express their hearts and discovering that in some cases, the reason why their healing was being blocked was because they weren't living in love. As a matter of fact, in one situation, this dear sister had ought in her heart against somebody else. And although she was prayed for on numerous occasions, and although she sought the Lord on her behalf on many occasions, still it was to no avail. There was no victory coming into her life. But then as we began to unfold the Scriptures, and as the Spirit of God began to reveal some things, it was discovered that she was holding ought in her heart against somebody else. And I made a mention of the fact that if you do so, you'll block the healing power of God and He'll not be able to set you free. And this person was really shocked by that statement. Really did not understand that. You might say, well, that person should have. Well, whether they should have or shouldn't have is, is irrelevant. They didn't. And as a result of not understanding that, they were going about, she was going about and not being free. Well, finally, we sat down, had this long discussion about forgiveness and the love of God. You know, beloved, people can hurt us. People can rub us the wrong way. They can do things that really trouble us in life. And as a result, we can become resentful. We can get to the place of being bitter. We can get to the place of not wanting to talk to that person or see that person or whatever. And we build up within ourselves this resentment and resentful attitude toward individuals. And then we just go about our Christian experience thinking that everything is okay as long as I'm still loving God, going to church and doing what I'm supposed to be doing in that regard. But as far as the law of God is concerned, and how many of you know this morning that we don't live by the laws of the land? In other words, we don't live by the standards of unbelievers. We live by a higher law, by God's laws and by God's standards. And even though the flesh wants to be rebellious, it's our responsibility and duty to do something about putting the flesh under and making no provisions for the lust of the flesh and the feelings that we may have, even if those are feelings of unforgiveness and being resentful. We don't live that way. We live by a higher law, the law of love. And love says we are to forgive and we are to forget. And so what we're supposed to do is forgive people that have wronged us and forget about it. I understand many are out there saying it's too hard to forget. We're all the same. We're all human beings. We've been told to forgive as God has forgiven us in Christ. And he says, your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Didn't he say that? That's a choice. That's a conscious decision on the part of God not to remember our sins and iniquities. How many of you are glad this morning he doesn't remember your sins? I mean, really glad this morning. You want to shout. You want to run around this church. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But what about you forgetting those that have sinned against you? Isn't that what he's saying? We're supposed to say along with him, I will remember it no more. I choose not to remember it. I choose to put it in a sea of forgetfulness and no matter how they wrong me, I, I, I refuse to bring it up. 
God wants us to live that way. He wants us to forgive as He has forgiven us. And when I shared these truths, this person got a hold of them and made a decision to forgive and release this other person. And you know what, beloved? When she released the other person, she got released. She got set free. As a result, she also got healed. God's power just flowed right into her life and delivered her and set her free. And this is just one person. On different occasions, I've talked with people who had to get it right with others before God could touch their lives. See, it's like putting up a, a door between yourself and God when you choose to forgive when you, or not, not to forgive when you choose to hold bitterness it's preventing God's power from flowing into our lives. How many of you really want God to do all that He said He would do for you in His Word? How many of you want God's best in your life? How many of you want God to do all that you can think that He can do for you? How many of you would like God to do exceeding, abundantly, above all you can ask or think? It would be enough for God to do all that we ask. Isn't that true? In other words, if you have the ability to think it through and ask Him for it, then He says, I'll do it. But I like it when He says He can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. In other words, He goes beyond our abilities, our understanding, and does exceeding abundantly Above that, on our behalf. You talk about living in a realm of blessing and riches untold. That's the realm that God wants His children in. You know, you might have a business out there, and you might have the ability to ask God to do this in your business. Well, you know what? You put yourself in the realm of divine love. You live the love life, and God says, I'll do exceeding abundantly above all you even ask or think. In other words, you might not even be able to think to ask Him to do this, but He'll be in the process of doing it for you because you're living the love life. And I want to show that to you in the Scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul the Apostle was a man of love. He was a man of faith. He was a man of love. He understood the love of God. He understood that faith worked by love and that love energized faith. And so then you can understand the Apostle Paul was also moved with compassion as he ministered to the people of God. When he went forth and preached the word in demonstration of the spirit of power, it was love and compassion that was motivating him to do so. He saw people through different eyes. He saw them through the eyes of Jesus. He saw an individual not as an enemy, but as someone who was lost and in need of God's compassion and mercies. And as a result, he gave himself, he gave of his life to see to it that he would just be the channel of that mercy and compassion of God. It was his desire to step out of the way. In other words, get himself out of the way and be so full of God that as a result of being full of God, he could touch somebody else's life. But can you also imagine this? If you are so full of God, you're so full of life, so full of strength, so full of health, so full of wisdom... So full of all that God is. Isn't that true? And then you've got something to give to somebody else. That's how God wants all of us to be. Well, if it's possible for us to be that way, then how can we be that way? 
How do we arrive at that plateau in our spiritual lives? Well, Paul gave us a revelation. He showed us how to get there. It was his earnest and heartfelt prayer for all the saints of God. I mean to tell you, this man was fervent in prayer, praying that God's people would arrive at a place in love where they would be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, sometimes we think, my need is, is to get this little thing healed over here, or my need is just to have that car payment met, or my need is just to help, have help in this area, a little bit of strength over here, and if I get that, then I'm going to be okay. You know what? You'll be okay for the moment. I'll be okay for the moment. But our need is far-reaching. And it's more reach, far-reaching than that. What God wants is to fill us up with His life. To fill us up with His fullness. Then as a result of being filled, all those needs are met in the process. Can you see that? It's more than binding up a wound or putting a band-aid over a cut. It's going to the source. And exploding on the inside of a person the very life and fullness of God. And so, knowing that, Paul prayed to that end. Not that John would be helped a little bit here and Mary helped a little bit there. And this one this way and that one that way. He wanted their lives filled with the completeness of God. Because he knew then all the other areas of their lives would be taken care of. And he prays this prayer in Ephesians 3.14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded, in agape love, divine love. Now notice, the individual being rooted and grounded in divine love would be able to comprehend. Why do my people perish? For lack of knowledge. God wants us to know what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of God's love. He wants us to begin to explore the endless dimensions of His love. He wants us to receive revelation on the endless dimensions of His love for a purpose. There is a reason why He wants us to have this comprehension, this understanding. And what is that reason? And to know that is to come into the exact knowledge of the love of Christ... Why? That passes knowledge. Why? That you might be filled with a little bit of God. No. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh-oh. That goes against someone's theology. I can just hear him saying it right now. I got God in my life and I've got all God that there is. I think you'd explode if you had all the God that there is. Kapow! Your physical body would explode and you'd have a new body. And you wouldn't be sitting in a pew. You'd be in the heavenly choir. Isn't that true? 
See, sometimes we misunderstand these things because here, for example, there are those people who believe that once you're saved, you have all the Holy Ghost. Bless their hearts. I'm saved and got all the Holy Ghost. I can't understand how anybody can believe that. There's always more of God to have. There is. You can get filled with the Holy Ghost. And you see, they look at it from a, a, let's say, from reason, from the point of reason. And they try to figure it out. Well, if I've got the Holy Ghost, I've got the Holy Ghost. And that means I have all the Holy Ghost there is. No, that's not true. Do you know that if you've not been called to stand in a specific office, that person who has been called to stand in an office that you're not standing in has a manifestation of the Holy Ghost that you don't have? Do you understand that? If you've not been called to be an apostle or a prophet, that person has a dimension of the Holy Ghost in his life operating that you do not have. Even though you're filled with the Holy Ghost. God's big, friends. I'm going to say it again. God is big, friends. God is so big. And there's more of Him to have. And as we explore this endless, these endless dimensions of God's love, as we explore those dimensions, gradually we are filled with the fullness of God. Look at it here. We have got to see these endless dimensions. We've got to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's talking about having manifested within us the greater measure of God's fullness in our lives. You see why there is a need for us to explore love and love deals with every aspect of a believer's life? That's why that woman had to repent and say, Father, forgive me for not forgiving somebody else and then release that person of that debt and say, I just let it go. I'm dropping this whole issue right now. I refuse to hold out my heart against anything. And you know what? She got rid of resentment. She got more of God. Which resulted in her healing. Can you see that? That's how it is with God. We can choose to hold these wrong forces in our lives, but if we do so, we are giving up more of God. And God wants us filled with all of His fullness. See, beloved, it's like this. You can't have more of God unless you're really willing to release and let go more of self. And we've got to be willing to do that. But it feels good to be bitter. You don't understand, brother. I want to resent this person. The Bible says, make no provisions for the lust of the flesh. And you know, that is a lust of the flesh right there. To want to be resentful towards somebody else is a lust of the flesh. Let go of that. Well, what will I get in return? Oh, just more of God. That's all. Just more of God. Where's the choice, my friend? Where's the choice? Would you rather have resentment or more of God? Would you rather have unforgiveness or more of God? Certainly. We fill ourselves up with the fullness of God as we begin to explore and develop God's love for us and the love of Christ. So you see, beloved, 
as we begin to see how much God loves us and how Christ loved us and explore that and gain insight and comprehension of it, it does something on the inside of us that really enables us to love God, to love God's people with His love. We release or let go of all those other forms of impurities in our lives for the sake of having more of God. I have no room for unforgiveness. Because I've only got room for God. I've got no room for bitterness because I've only got room for God. I'm sorry, I have no place in this corner of my life for any animosity because God's there. Can you see that? And so it goes with all these departments of our lives. We want to be filled with God's fullness. Why do I want to be filled with God's fullness? I'm so glad you asked. Verse 20. Sometimes we don't do Scripture justice when we take one verse out of its setting. I remember a fellow who came and taught a Bible study when I first got saved. And this verse was used. Verse 20. Ephesians 3 and 20. I was a very young Christian. And this person came who was a very, you know, he was an older Christian. I mean, he was like... 15 years in the Lord or 20 years in the Lord at that time, and I just got saved. And he came and he taught on the promises of God, which was absolutely wonderful, and he did a great job. But I remember him pointing out this particular verse of Scripture only, stating that God will do for you exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think. And basically, how many of you know that we're pretty lazy when it comes to memorizing Scripture? And so what we do is we make it as small as we possibly can. God's able to do above all you ask or think. It's basically what people get out of that verse. You know, got to do above all you ask or think. How many of you know that's a wonderful statement, but by itself, naked, you know, just by itself, apart from any context, that's really not what this is saying. It's a part of what it's saying. But it's not the whole of what it's saying. Can you see that? Because you've got to take the whole verse in context and understand all the particulars. Notice the very first word in verse 20. Now. Why is that now in there? I'm bowing my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Why? That you'd be strengthened with might by His Spirit in your inner man. Why? Notice, your inner man. Why? That you being rooted and grounded in divine love may be able to comprehend. You can't comprehend God without understanding love and being rooted and grounded in divine love. May be able to comprehend with all saints the breadth, the length, the depth, the height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge so that you and I could be filled with all the fullness of God. All that comes before verse 20, doesn't it? And now that you are being filled with all the fullness of God, now God is able. Notice the verse. Now unto Him that is able. Now unto Him that is able. Now unto Him that is able. The now means 
Now that I am being strengthened with might by His Spirit in my inner man, now that I am comprehending the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of His love, and now that I am knowing the love of Christ and being filled with all the fullness of God, now, because of all this that's taken place on the inside, now unto Him that is able to do what? Exceeding abundantly above all I ask or think. Above all I ask or think according to. According to. According to what? See, now I have placed myself in a position that I'm being filled with the fullness of God. And now, God is able to do for me. Beloved, if language means anything, then this is true. Until a person makes a decision to have that fulfilled in his or her life, that person then is not allowing God to do for him or her exceeding abundantly above all he asks or thinks. Can you see that? Why? Because I'm not opening myself up to this divine flow of God's love. I'm not opening up my spiritual condition to the strength of God. I've got to make this quality decision to begin operating in this realm of divine love and exploring it and making it my highest quest and greatest aim in life. I have got to... To, to be sold out to this divine love because this is God's realm. God is love. And as I'm being filled with God's fullness and God is able to do for me exceeding abundantly above all I ask or think according to... Now, notice these verses. Notice the last expression here in this verse. According to the power. That word power is dunamis. According... Notice this. To the miracle ability of God, the miracle working power or ability of God, according to... Notice how he does it. According to the miracle working power of God, that and the word work it there, circle that word, put your little definition by it. That is efficiently active. That word worketh means is efficiently active. Active. And notice the last two words. In. In. Us. Did you get that? In us. Or we can, I could say in me. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all I ask or think. How? According to the miracle working ability of His love that is efficiently active. Not lying dormant, but efficiently active in me. That woman activated the love of God when she forgave somebody. Can you see that? The love of God then became active, not passive, but active in her life. And when she chose 
to activate that love than God was able to do for her even above all that she asked or even thought. And in this situation, beloved, He really did. He really did. And I know in other situations He has done the same thing. But beloved, the point I want to make is that it is absolutely vital that every child of God recognizes the need to place Himself in the realm of divine love. If we want healing, if we want deliverance, if we want our needs met, if we want provisions, whatever it is that we want in life, success in life, however, you know, we want whatever from God, it is absolutely essential that we remove ourselves from the realm of the natural, place ourselves in the realm of the supernatural, and make this conscious effort to let God's love strengthen strengthen our inward parts. And in many cases, it's going to mean that we are just going to have to stop judging other people. We're going to have to stop thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We may have to change and adjust some attitudes, let's say, that may exist in our own lives. Making all kinds of adjustments so as to place ourselves in this position that God wants us to be in. Let's face it, beloved. God is always advancing toward us in life. He is always making a positive move and step towards us so that we can experience His best. If we are not experiencing the best that God has to offer, it's not because God is not advancing toward us. As a matter of fact, the word help actually means to make an advance towards someone and bringing with you all that is necessary for him to get the job done. If you have a helper and you have to cut a piece of wood, for example, and you're holding it up there and that saw is lying over there somewhere and you have a helper and you're standing there holding that thing, what do you need at that time? Help. Right? And so you have a helper. What's the helper supposed to do? You say, please hand me that saw. You're there holding that piece of wood. That saw's sitting over there. And you have a helper. He walks over, picks up the saw. We use hand saws, not power saws. <laughs> he picks up the hand saw. And what does he do? He makes an advance towards you. What is he bringing with you? The equipment that you need to get the job done. Isn't that true? How many of you know that God said, I will help you? Did you ever read that? In Isaiah 41.10? Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Yea, he says, I will help you. I will strengthen you and I will uphold you. Well, the word help means he will make an advance or take an advance, take a step towards you, bringing with him whatever you need to get the job done. Boy, I like that, don't you? What's God doing on your behalf? He's taken a step towards you and He's brought with Him all that you need to get the job done. He's your helper. 
God is always for us. He's always advancing toward us. He's always there to see to it that we have what we need to get the job done. It's up to us then to see to it that we stay in that position so that we can draw from His help and strength. And if we'll do that, we'll activate His power in our lives. Notice, it's by the power that's efficiently at work, actively at work in us. Say this with me. God is at work in my life. I am rooted and grounded in His love, comprehending the endless dimensions of His love. I am now in the process of being filled with the fullness of God. As a result, my God is able to do for me exceeding abundantly above all I ask or even think according to His miracle power that's efficiently active in my life. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, is that worth letting go unforgiveness? Is that worth letting go bitterness? Is that worth letting go strife? Is that worth letting go pride? And anything else that we would choose to block out, you know, the power of God? It's worth letting it all go, isn't it? Forget about all that lower life form and choose the higher life form. Choose the way of love. Oh, go overboard. Choose the way of love. And you know what, beloved? That opening text said, love never fails. Say this with me. Love never fails. Love in me will never fail to produce results in my life. Hallelujah. 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 Can you see that? It'll never fail to produce in your life. And I want you to know something right now. Every act of God, every miracle that ever took place by the hands of Jesus was an extension of love. It was a manifestation of compassion. I mean to tell you, it was the very substance of God pouring out of Jesus to touch humanity. I told you about the leper, right? We'll close right here. Look at Matthew 15. I told you about the leper. But Jesus did the same thing for the blind, the halt, the maimed. Did He not? I mean to tell you that Jesus was so full of God's compassion. I mean full of God's compassion. That His own life was settled in God. Don't, don't let that one pass you by, okay? His whole life was settled in God. In other words, He knew how much the Father cared for Him. He knew and experienced in reality the Father's love for Him. He was full of it. Full of the love of God. Full of the compassion. He was filled with that. Drawing from its strength in His own life. Now in Matthew 15... 
I'll tell you what, before we look at that, go back one page to Matthew 14, because I want you to see this. Jesus was full of compassion. Jesus was full of love. God's compassion and love was efficiently at work in Jesus. Therefore, the Father was able to do for Him exceeding abundantly above all you have to think. Did Jesus not say, right there by the grave of, of Lazarus, Father, I thank Thee that Thou hast heard me, and I know that Thou hearest me always? Where did that confidence come from? It, it came from the working of God in His inward parts. It came from the love of God that was manifested on the inside of Him and God's compassion that He operated in. In Matthew 14 and 14, look at this verse. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, was moved with compassion. See, sometimes we just like to get to the He healed them part. But, beloved, what moved him? Oh, what is this thing called compassion? I, I mean, what is this force that is to move us and motivate us in life? Compassion is sympathetic consciousness of another person's distress coupled with an earnest desire to alleviate the suffering. Boy, if you haven't made a note of that, make note of it. It's the sympathetic consciousness of another person's distress. You see somebody hurting and your heart goes out to them. Have you ever been there? You see somebody hurting, your heart goes out to them, but then you get to a place, you say, I can't take this anymore. I want to help that person. I've got a desire that's above all other desires. I want to alleviate that human suffering. Beloved, we'll never have the power of God like we want to have it, like God wants us to have it, until there is a pure desire in our hearts to alleviate somebody else's suffering. It's almost as if you're hurting with them and the hurt is so bad you can't stand it any longer. You can't tolerate it any longer. You want to help that person and alleviate their suffering. And you're willing to do your part to get to that place. And oh, the overwhelming compassion of God takes you over because you're living in His love now. And just like this here, Jesus moved with compassion toward them as He approached them. It wasn't just, oh, I see you have a need. It was a longing, yearning desire to free that person from His suffering. That's how Jesus was. That's how God is toward all mankind. And look what the latter part of the verse says. And He healed their sick. We could say it like this. And His compassion healed their sick. Now look at Matthew 15. Beginning at verse 29. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee. He went up to a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto Him, having with them those that were lame, Blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. 
Now, beloved, I ask you this question. If God, if compassion moved Jesus to heal the other sick, would you not agree with me that Jesus didn't change his motives and his desires and attitudes? I would have to believe with all of my heart that the same compassion that healed the others is the same compassion that began to reach out to these. Wouldn't you agree with me? Look at those that were blind. I want you to notice that when Jesus departed from people, he went to be alone. I want us to stop right there for a second. When Jesus departed, as it says right here, from thence and came nigh and entered the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there, he went there to be alone to pray. He actually wanted to have some time, probably, to rejuvenate his own life. To pray, seek the face of the Father. He always set himself apart that way, went to a mountain to pray. But the great multitudes thronged him. And can you just see Jesus sitting up there on that mountain in in prayer and these people coming up to him and him saying, Look, I've worked all day. Please, come back tomorrow. Give me a break. How many of you can hear him saying something like that? I highly doubt it. That wasn't Jesus. He may have been at that point in need of, of really refreshing himself. But look what it says. And they cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that Jesus was so full of God's compassion that that compassion was always activated when he saw people in dire need. He was a channel of that compassion. And he positioned himself to stay that way. But you know what, beloved? To me, it used to be when I was first saved. When I read that part that said maimed, I'd got out my dictionaries. I'd got out my Greek concordances. I got everything out that I could to make certain that this was body parts removed. You know what I mean? Maimed. Body parts severed. And I was in awe of that. Awe of the idea that people came with no body parts and they left with body parts. I mean, is that amazing? And it's still amazing to me today, but you know what is more amazing to me today? And I never allowed this to sink into my heart. Now, I've preached on this before. And I'm going to say it again because I believe it bears repetition to show you the very heart of Jesus. Read on. Then Jesus called, verse 32, His disciples unto Him and said, I have compassion on the, on the multitude. Wait a minute. He just got done doing these marvelous miracles And someone might think after doing all those great feats, he can just go off and gloat and all that he just did for God. But he doesn't do that. He says, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. The miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes 
was a direct result of God's compassion. Compassion is what multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Can you see that? Because if you read on, you can see it. In verse 34, how many loaves have ye? They said seven and a few little fishes. And he commanded on the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and fishes and gave thanks and broke them and gave to his disciples and disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the broken meat. And now notice this. That was left seven baskets full. Now wait a minute. To feed them is God doing for them whatever they possibly could ask. But to feed them and have leftovers is exceeding abundantly above all they could ask or think. I mean, in our finite minds and thinking, it would be enough to think that right here, if we had one fish and one loaf of bread, we can multiply that and feed this whole congregation. I mean, that would be in itself a miracle. I mean, where everybody's actually stuffed like a turkey. Stuffed. You know what I mean? Isn't that true? But then, to have leftovers? Seven baskets full? Can you see how God is? We've got to see God being that way, beloved. Because God never depletes Himself of anything. Even when it comes to their provisions, He filled them up and there was always an overflow. Always an overflow. Exceeding abundantly above all they could ask or think. To ask to have enough bread to feed us all would would be one thing. But to have seven baskets left over is another. Think about that. God's in the leftovers. Do you know that? I'm telling you. But what, what really touched my heart was the fact that Jesus had compassion on them. He wasn't just concerned about their healing and spiritual well-being. He was concerned about their being hungry and possibly fainting, you know, by taking a two or three days journey away, however far they came. What compassion. And His tender mercies are over all of His works right here and right now in this place. And if you want to be a miracle worker for God, get a hold of His compassion and His love and baptize yourself in it and just tell Him. I'm giving up everything and anything that stands between me and your compassion and your great love. Whether it's coming into my life as an individual or through my life to touch somebody else. There's no time, beloved, for us to harbor anything that's not of love in our lives. Can you see that? Let's all stand to our feet. Praises and musicians, if you would come, please. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.